Hello and welcome to the Indican Podcast. My name is Devin, and this week I am with Tom, James, and Jenny. And we are upstairs hanging out at a game table Woo-hoo! that actually has like a nice game grid on it. But yeah. Anyway, how are you all doing this week? Tired. Really good. I'm glad you said really good. I am going to be nice in the middle. I am okay. I am fine. (laughs) Are you truly, though? I don't know. I'm restless. I'm fine. I'm Tom. Nice to meet you. No bad jokes at this table, please. Because mom jokes are so much better. Your no. mom jokes are fun. <laughs> no, for sure. I love your mom jokes. Okay, so anyway, why don't we talk about the movies that we've seen this week? What we've been doing right. in our spare time. Alright. Someone else start, because I have to pull up a list. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <Okay>. Crap. <laughs> Here comes the pain. Well, the only one I saw this week was the new Spider-Man movie, Far From Home. Mm. But we'll, be pro- we'll probably talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that... I think mostly just rewatching stuff, having it on the background while I'm cleaning and the like. Oh, yeah. had, didn't take a chance to actually watch anything else. Mm. Yeah. Um, let's see. I watched Far From Home, the new Spider-Man movie. I watched Ralph Breaks the Internet, which I found highly entertaining. Not as much as the first movie, but it definitely had its moments. And I think that was all that I watched in its entirety. Ooh, that yeah. was new. I started to watch the one film about the one serial killer that I can never remember the entire uh, name of. Shockingly Wicked, or Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Yes, that one. Um, Great title. I got about half an hour into the film before I had to get up to go do something and I never came back to it. <laughs> All right. And because it jumps around so much from where it's at in timeline, trying to like piece these things together, I'm just sitting there going, I don't have the attention span to actually pay attention right now to how much this is jumping around. So, yeah. so are we talking like Born Identity jumping or are we talking about Quentin Tarantino on a bender? We're talking... Flashback out of flashback? Flashback to current, to flashback to current, to flashback to current, to flashback mm. to current, to flashback to current, to possibly a flashback, maybe current, I'm not sure, to a flashback to current. And then I'm sitting there going, well, that was a lot going on in half an hour. Mm-hmm. I kind of hurt right now. So I would imagine that would be a movie where you have to really sit down and get invested. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that Inception was a lot easier to follow. Oh, wow. Okay. So, also, uh, probably any Django... Sukiyaki Western Django was also easier to follow. That's what I was trying to think of. <laughs> Alright. Yeah. And that's that a, a movie. That was a definite movie. So, yeah. Anything else for you? Uh, no, but I got to say Sukiyaki Western Django, and I'm happy. <laughs> okay, good. Pulled that one out of your ass there, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So, I watched Whisper of the Heart, one of the uh, Ghibli movies, and it was... I've seen quite a few of the Ghibli movies, for once. I've seen some, some series of movies. 
And this one just kind of didn't really have like a background element in any, any of it. Like, there wasn't really an underlying theme. It's just kind of about through line. two people, kind of a love story. They're in like middle school, going about day to day lives. She becomes a writer. It's not really anything like. I don't know, like, usually in Ghibli movies, there's a lot going on, and this one was kind of slow for me, but it was okay. Um, the worst part was, though, I was sitting and watching the movie, and before I left for the movie, I was cleaning my house, I lit a candle, you know, let the fragrance go through and all, yada, 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 and, um, I left my friends to go see the movie, we get there, we rush into the movie because we were a little late, and near the end of the movie, the grandfather character says, Come, child, sit by the fire. And I go, the fire! And I forgot to blow up my candle at home. <laughs> my adult card, revoked. So, then, probably after that movie, I had to race home, make sure my house didn't burn down. Spoiler alert, it did not. It was absolutely fine. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that was a thing. So now that, that memory will be associated with that movie from now on. Uh, yeah, so watch that. Then I watched Parasite Eve. Um, we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, it was definitely a WTF movie. So that was, yeah. a, that was a very good recommendation from uh, James there. And then I caught up on Hulu's Handmaid's Tale. And that's all I watched this week. All right. Yeah. For me, uh, Monday I watched Spider-Man. We'll get into that. Thursday I watched Spider-Man. We'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I watched another movie that I'll be talking about later because I rewatched it to make sure that it was as good as I remember. We'll talk about that later. Then I watched Then Came You uh, with Asa Butterfield and Maisie Williams. I think it's Maisie Williams, yeah. Maisie Williams, Aria, mm-hmm. where she has cancer. Yep. She won't stop telling people she has cancer. Yep. And he, like, is a hypochondriac that is then put into a, like, a a relief group to kind of like, you don't have cancer, you're fine, kid. These mm. people do. Stop pretending you do. And it's actually a really, really interesting because they're like not a, there's not a relationship between the two, but they become really close friends. And it's just this really well done little, little film. Uh, the two of them have really great chemistry together, Asa Butterfield and um, Maisie Williams. I keep wanting to say Maisie Ridley. I'm like, Maisie Ridley, but... Yeah. Then I was like, okay, I'll watch another one with him, and I watched uh, The Space Between Us, finally. Oh, I loved it. I liked it. I had a lot of issues with the writing. Like, it mm. was pretty weak at times, but I liked the two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Britt Robertson is one that I've, I've always liked, but she's always one of those that there are little character issues she does. Like, yeah. she runs weird. <laughs> and it's something I noticed when I watched the terrible show Under the Dome is that she'll take, like, four little things flailing her arms and then actually run. and Or when she goes to stop, she does this weird little flail. And she did that all the way through this movie, and I'm like, wow, she hasn't changed. She oh, does run weird, She I did agree. that in uh, Tomorrowland as well, and yes. a few others. And I'm like, mm, okay. But I enjoyed the movie. It was one of those that, when you really think about it, it just, it, there's no, like, conflict in the movie. It's like, oh my god, they're here. Well, get in this plane I've never pl- or never flown before. Have you ever flown this? No. <laughs> and just steals a plane and lands it on an interstate. And then they run off. And Sounds very familiar. You, you it's really, just kind of like, oh, uh, okay. You really got to take this yeah. movie with a grain of salt, essentially. Yeah. But like this, I thought the story was cute. I love the, con- like the concept of him growing up on 
Mars and mm-hmm. how that affects him. And then he has to get like the the nanotubes in his bones mm-hmm. in order to, to withstand the gravity. I'm like, I like all of that. Yeah, the density mm-hmm. thing. But then they kind of stopped that about halfway through, and now it's like, oh, and now his heart's going to fail. And mm-hmm. it's like they, they just kind of had some weird little turns, and mm-hmm. the, the whole fish-out-of-water thing got old relatively quick. Yeah. So. But other than those, I also watched Greta with um, Hit Girl. Uh, it was fine. It was nothing special. Uh, rewatched Us. Um, Did you not remember Chloe Grace Moretz? Chloe Grace Moretz. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it had two or she she's now just Chloe Moretz. Oh, okay. She dropped dropped the Grace on. Yeah, pretty much. Still Chloe Grace Moretz. And then I also watched the new Pet Cemetery. Which was better than the original, but again, that's not saying much. So uh, and then I got about halfway through Best of Enemies, just and I had something else to do, I haven't re- finished it, and I shotgunned all of Stranger Things season three. Of course you did. Of course I did. <laughs> it came out, I'm like, awesome, I'm gonna watch it. Had a bunch of stuff to do, and then got home, I'm like, cool, it's nine o'clock, time to shotgun all, the, all of the season, and watched all eight episodes nonstop. Was so, only eight? Oh. So, you know, 50 minutes each, you know, do the math on that, uh, fell asleep at like five in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. It wasn't as good as season one, it was better than season two. So. I think that's a general consensus for most people. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. The, the villain of the season was really weird. And I kind of liked it. So, so uh, starting this week, we're going to try adding in some, like, movie news type things. Just Relevant news. Yeah, try it out. See if there's anything interesting. Really, the only... There's been a few new trailers this week. Uh, Knives Out had a trailer. Um, Ryan Johnson's new movie. It's a murder mystery. actually looks really good. Huge cast. Uh, Mulan... Mm-hmm. Their trailer dropped today. Yeah. It was today. It was a teaser trailer. And yeah, trailer. It came out during the Women's World Cup finals. Yes. For those of you who watch sports, <laughs> that'd be me. Mm-hmm. At least for soccer, football, and the rest of the world. Football. You are a very weird American, there, Tom. I am. Yeah. But uh, I watched the trailer. It was fine. It was okay. I was really upset by the lack of Mushu. And cricket, but mostly Mushu. Um, I was perfectly fine without Mushu. Yeah, you were. As a pivotal Disney princess movie, dis- quote, Disney princess movie, big part of my childhood, okay? Sorry, having just seen Ralph Breaks the Internet and having seen all of the <laughs> princesses in that, I don't know, just seeing her, she didn't have Mushu with her in that. Did Ariel have flounder with her in that? Nope. Did Cinderella have her mice? No. She mentions her mice. I believe someone had a pillow of the the fish, though. Uh, Probably. He, there was a there was a uh, a pillow of the fish of flounder. The mice do get mentioned, and the mice are actually used to create all of their comfy clothes instead of their gowns. My point is, in the actual original movies, per each princess, they have an animal sidekick of some kind. Well, even nowadays, they do look at Tangled with uh, Maximus. It was Maximus and Pascal as well. Yeah, so yeah. it's like they, they've always... They... You know, Beauty and the Beast, they had Beast. Uh, yeah. I mean, they had Hey Hey and uh, oh, Moana. Yeah. And Pua. And Pua. But Pua didn't go on the journey with them. Hey Hey did. See, now I'm just thinking Beauty and the Beast also had, like, 
Hey, this teacup is a little thing that moves around. It's kind of a pet. I mean, the footstool was technically a dog. A child. They, yeah. they, they had a pet. Remember the, the footrest? The footstool yeah. was yeah. a dog. Which was the chip was probably also a pet. It was a oh. child. All right, all right. I think he's rolling you up. Moving on, the other big movie news that came out this week was the announcement of who is playing the Little Mermaid in Disney's live-action Little Mermaid. Well, who's playing Ariel? Ariel in the live-action Little Mermaid. Get Mm -hmm. it right. Fine. Ouch. It's Ariel the Little Mermaid. The last name does not have an R in it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Holly Bailey. Holly Bailey. Even you just saying that, I still expect you to say that. I have to pause every time. But yeah. I have no idea who Holly Bailey is. I think Uh, she had a big part in Glee. She's a uh, she's a singer duo. I she wasn't in. She might have been in Glee, but I think so. I watched all of Monday, and I don't recognize her from it. So it doesn't mean anything though. Like she could have easily been one of the other characters in it, but. I'm not positive. Like, everyone's kind of up in arms because of the racial issue. I'm mm-hmm. like, cool, awesome. Why, why is it an issue it. is the point. But yeah. yeah, I'm like, cool, awesome, go for it. But I'm just going, I have no idea who this is. Okay, cool. Yeah, I don't know her either. I, I read about her um, singing talent apparently is unmatched to all of the other people that auditioned, and that's why she got the role. And that fits. Yeah. Cool. I honestly just don't care because I think all of these live actions are unnecessary. Yeah. So I'm personally just not even going to give them my time or any money. Other than that, I really don't care. Maybe she has a good singing voice. I didn't hear anything involving uh, her singing group or anything she might have been involved with that had that. So she's best known for The Holiday, A Wrinkle in Time, and Grownish. Okay. I haven't seen any of those things. Nope. I've seen Wrinkle in Time, wasn't impressed, and I've seen The Holiday, and I can't tell you. The Last Holiday? Or Last, last ho- Holiday? Last Holiday with Queen Latifah? I was going to say, with Queen Latifah, I've, I've seen, seen that. I've seen The Holiday, I haven't seen The Last Holiday. Yeah, it was last, uh, holiday. last Holiday is the title of the film. Oh, isn't, that the one where, isn't that the one where she thinks she has cancer? Um, she, they tell her she has cancer, and then it turns out they sent the wrong scans over, so she doesn't actually have cancer, yeah, but she goes on, like... Her last holiday, she was skiing. Bucket yeah, it's Bucket upon list, yeah. learning of a terminal illness, a shy woman decides to sell off all her possessions and live it up at a posh European hotel. Yeah. And right. it has LL Cool J and a bunch of other people in it. Gerard Depardieu. And... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So. Yeah. By the way, it's like... I'm kind of... Cool. Yeah. And if it looks half as awesome as Aquaman looked... Mm. Was it Landis? I'd be like, I'm in. Cool. Uh, mm. So, I'm real curious mm, the real quick, for A Wrinkle in Time, she's known at for that, for the soundtrack. Not as actually acting in the film. She's a singer. so Yeah, she is mm. a singer, so that makes sense. Yeah. But I'm, I'm honestly really curious as to how they're going to do the whole fish tail to legs scene, because that'll be... Yeah, mm. lots of sparkles. I'm Probably. Sure. Lots of sparkles, probably not nearly as grotesque as some of the other. <laughs> like it'll be like Splash too. Mm-hmm. Wow, there's a movie I haven't thought about in ages. Thank I you, know, Devin. Splash two. Actually, that's probably a good good thing. It's like that's probably that the vein amazing. they're gonna go in more than yeah. anything because they've had because Disney's had a few live action mermaid movies. Uh. Other companies have done live-action mermaid movies. Yeah, yeah there's two yeah, live-action films that have come out within the past couple of years. 
that were non-Disney for Little Mermaid. Really mm-hmm. disturbing French one that came out. Yeah, um, mm. so, not gonna lie, the character playing Scuttle, or the woman playing Scuttle, has a really fun name, considering that this movie is in the water. Yeah. Her name is Aquafina. Oh, yeah. I heard that, that she was playing Scuttle. Sorry, I just... I like had, Aquafina. I, she's, like, kind of awkward Asian. Yeah, I mean, she was in... Yeah. Wasn't uh, she in Ocean's Crazy 8? Crazy Rich Asian Ocean's Neighbors 8. 2 was, and Ocean's 8, yeah. Yep. She was at Ocean's 8, she, yeah, Crazy Rich Asian, she's the crazy best friend character. Yeah, uh, and she was Christina's uh, neighbor. She's too. also in. Oh, uh, the other one that got a trailer this week is Jumanji. Oh, yeah. level up, level up. The next, the next level. level, the next level, the next level. Yeah. That looks so excited. Concept. That was so excited. Funny as hell. You think they're all in the same bodies, and then it turns out Danny DeVito's in the rock, and I'm like, that. Yep. That's and great. Donald Glover is uh, in, uh, or not Donald, Danny, Danny Glover, Glover. Not Donald Dan- Glover. Danny Glover is that would have been in. Cool Mouse's body, so yeah. Kevin Hart. That that whole Sorry, trailer, Mouse. Yeah, but that whole trailer, I was just grinning and laughing. Yeah, yeah like, that was that a good looks, one. It because again, it's it's doing what the that first sequel did is that it's not doing exactly the same. They're changing it up just enough, and it's like I'm really curious as to what's going to happen. I'm curious because in the trailer they show the pilot from the first one, the one that the. Uh, Colin Hanks's character was in. Yeah, the, the grown-up version, who's also the Jonas yeah. brother in the seaplane yeah. or whatever. The, yeah, the seaplane guy. But you also see Aquafina randomly, like right after that. So yeah. I'm guessing that climbing a mountain. Yeah, the main character I'm guessing yeah. is in one of the two, and then the quote-unquote hot girl of the four. Bethany. Bethany. Bethany yeah. I think Bethany is in the other one because yeah. they never establish who she's in. No, they, they don't establish those two, and since they're the only ones who are shown, like, for a second, I'm, I think you're absolutely right. Those are the, the other two adventurers. And I'm, again, I'm real curious. I'm curious, but it's also one of those that I'm like, I'll wait for, like, an actual story trailer to get a little bit more out of it. Oh, yeah. So, I'm not sure when it's coming out, probably later this year. Early 2019 is when it's expected December 13th. Oh, cool. So it's right before Christmas. Yeah, it's already uh, post-production. I know it's I like the last one. I know I definitely will be seeing it, though. Yeah, yeah it looks fun. I, I actually really enjoyed Welcome to the Jungle. I enjoyed it more than I expected. Yeah, it, it had no right to be as good as it was. <laughs> you know what, though? That's that's good, though. That's a nice yeah. surprise. So I think that's I think that's about it news-wise. It's kind of stuff that's like, oh, yeah, that happened. And um, that's cool. the news. Yeah, I was going to say, the other one would be the $185 million debut of Spider-Man for the holiday weekend. And yeah, the fact that uh, Avengers is seventeen million. Uh fifteen, I think you said. It's about fifteen. Fifteen behind Avatar. So. That's going into today, so this it doesn't we record this on Sundays, doesn't take Sunday, Monday, you know, whatever. So there's a very good chance by next week that it'll have toppled over Avatar. Yeah. It'll yeah. be very close. So the next few weeks will be interesting for that because people don't really want to shut up about that. Yeah. Right. So, Spider-Man. Yes. That was a movie that we saw. Well, three of us saw. Sorry. We're we're definitely not going to be getting as spoilerly as we have been the last month or so. I think we should probably go to The Turn. Uh, For those who would have seen the movie, they know what we're talking about. Exactly. For those of you who know the characters, you know what we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it's real hard not to. yeah, Yeah, pretty much. But we should probably go there, because then after that point in the movie, 
be very vague. It's a very different movie. Yes. So, but yeah, uh, this will also be spoilers for Endgame for those of you who haven't gotten around to seeing Endgame yet. Because so you didn't. Don't go yelling at us like Tom Holland when after like the cold (laughs) opener, the first scene is these people die. (laughs) Yeah, that's. It was so cheesy. I love. I love how cheesy that scene was. It, though. it was. I'm not like saying the, it was. I'm saying, I'm saying it was great. But it was like I was like, oh my word, this does remind me of high school. I not gonna lie. I love the fact too that they slow that they slow rolled and slipped in the. Uh, this is the end of a phase. Yeah. Line in there, and a lot of people missed it. I spent half an hour after the movie talking with people about the end credit scenes like complete and total strangers about this because they didn't understand them and I'm like well let me explain some things (laughs) let me learn you a a bit of information yeah there were three teenagers who were like super knowledgeable about most stuff but they uh, involving the MCU and the comics and stuff like that but they just didn't they were for whatever reason it wasn't connecting where these where the after credit stuff was coming from like oh let me learn you some Mm mhm I will say, it definitely sparked more of an interest in what's beyond this than I had going into it. It definitely kind of reinvigorated that part again, like Thor Ragnarok did, like Black Panther did. It's like, okay, this is actually kind of cool. I'm curious to see where they're going now, instead of just being apathetic. I was super excited with the amount of technical work that they did with this movie I thought it was awesome yeah I I the first half of the movie was, I enjoyed it but it it felt kind of clunky the first so third was boring to me it like I didn't mind the whole like hey let's go on a European road trip I kind of liked that and I liked all that kind of storyline but it wasn't until we kind of got more into the elementals and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is uh Mysterio was Quentin Beck. I really liked him. I liked all the stuff with the elementals. He was great. Um, he was great, but like a lot of his scenes were awkward, especially early on, like him sitting. Uh, Nick Fury kept yelling at Peter, and then like the next scene was randomly, "I'm here to talk to you." Oh, okay. Fury was sad. Really? Uh, you don't have sarcasm. Okay. And then it's like it's just it's kind of really stilted, and then they had a good scene together. And that's kind of how that first half of the movie, it had like a lot of these weird dialogue that built into a good scene. It was like whoever did the writing for it didn't know what a segue was. The segue or an opener. Like they couldn't couldn't open, but man, they could hold your attention when they had it. When you mention a segue to them, they're like, you mean that thing that you ride around on? No, no, that's not what we mean. And then building off of that, though, <laughs> after the the turn midway through the movie, it turns into a, a Marvel movie again. Yeah. yeah, and one hardcore, and two, all the awkwardness goes away. Yeah, like, all the kind of awkward goes away, and the relationships kind of actually like feel interesting. They click. Yeah, yeah. They all kind of coalesce. It's definitely too. kind of after that that everything starts clicking again. Um, you get a little bit of it early on, but not until that kind of turning point in the movie do the do the different storylines kind of finally sync back up. Yeah. So I don't know about you guys if you've ever read like the young Spider-Man when he's still a kid. Not much. I've 
the only real experience I have with Spider-Man outside of the movies was the 90s animated show. Okay, so the first third up into the turn very much felt like it was the young Spider-Man where he's super teen, he's going through high school, he's trying to adjust to puberty, he's still trying to deal with his Uncle Ben who's still around, that kind of thing, and dealing with all this other stuff going on where it's all awkward and weird. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it hits that turn and all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, this is the Spider-Man that we've kind of been expecting this entire time. And it was a cool switch to have that still feel of Spider-Man, but here's the different aspects. And can I say, Tom Holland, oh my god. Tom Holland is perfect. He is amazing. Yeah. Like, I like him as Peter Parker, and then... I buy him completely. When he's in the costume, I actually feel like it's the same character. Yeah, I buy uh, him 100%. I didn't really have that so much with Tobey Maguire. Like, I didn't see Tobey Maguire in the costume. No. Once he puts everything on, I never saw the same actor. I agree with that. And Andrew Garfield... Kind oh, I have, of, a yeah. th- I have a bit to say about that. All right, go on. So, this week, while I was at work, it was <laughs> very dead. And I happened to have a TV at my bar, so I decided to look through the channels. And they were playing Spider-Man movies. But okay, great, we'll do a little marathon since it's Spider-Man weekend... Start with Spider-Man 1. Original OG Tobey Maguire, who is the only Spider-Man that I've actually sat and watched an entire movie for. I always liked him. I liked Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane. Like, real OG people. That was fine. It went from Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 2. I also like Spider-Man 2. And instead of playing Spider-Man 3, they played Iron Man 3. And then they went back That's and they played... Weird. Then after that, they played The Amazing Spider-Man. So I don't know where they were going with this. But it was the first time I had actually watched Andrew Garfield play Spider-Man. I hated it. I was cringing the entire time because Spider-Man's always been that awkward little weirdo. I felt like... He's like a little bit too cool. Yeah, he definitely didn't bring across that, you know, I'm awkward, kind of shy, but I'm secretly a badass. He just kind of all around trying to be edgy, but not... Doing it oh, well. so he was Spider-Man Three Spider-Man. It was, it was, <laughs> it wasn't great. So. He was Venom Spider-Man. I actually yeah. really liked him once he was in costume. I thought his costume looked cool, and I liked him in costume. A little kind of an ass. Yeah. Like he's just sitting there, like just messing with people and like mm-hmm. beating up criminals in a really weird, like not Spider-Man way. But then other yeah. times he was perfect. Out of costume. Yeah. <laughs> Also, I noticed that Aunt May keeps getting progressively younger. <laughs> so it Tobey Maguire's movies. There's a joke she's, involving that too. Actually, I actually like, really like Aunt May in Holland. Isn't she supposed Tom to be in like Holland her? Isn't she in her 30s or something? In yeah, her 40s. In Tom Holland's mo- mother's younger sister. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. It's so. just it's so weird because I'm so used to you know like. Oh yeah, sixty-year-old Aunt May. It's okay. Everybody thinks she's hot. And then there's like. Forty, maybe fifty-year-old Aunt May with her. Um, you said her name. Sally Field. Sally Field. With Sally Fields, and then you got hot Aunt May? Yeah, question mark. Late 30s, Thanks, Marissa Tomei. Yeah. yeah. Though I think I think Marissa Tomei's a bit older than she looks, but she looks great for her age. So mm-hmm. yeah, she. Knows but yeah, back to her. back to actual Far From Home. Yeah, it feels like a, the first third feels like a very different movie, and that's not a bad thing. Was it necessary for the rest of the movie to have that backstory? Kind of. 
Yeah, it it fit. It was mm. the best I can way to describe it is that it was a good cooldown transition from Endgame, from the events of mm. Endgame. Very much. I I like the way they deal with quote unquote the blip. Oh, that was because hilarious. I don't know it's a snap, but I like the way they showed the marching band reappearing. Yeah, that yeah, was in the hilarious. Gym like, and the marching band reappears. Every, like the mar- the marching band disappeared during uh, during the pregame the pregame stuff. Mm-hmm. Everyone's horrified. Everyone's screaming. Then they cut to another scene five, five years play. later, yeah. where they reappear in the exact place while a game's going on. Nice. So everyone's yeah. tripping and colliding into them, and they're just confused. It was yeah. it was definitely a funny way to approach. And it. I like the there's. I don't remember the the dude that's with Betsy Brandt in this scene, Betty Brandt. Um, but I like the yeah, oh, yeah. When I came back, my brother's older than me now, so that's a thing. John or something and like that. Something like that. He's in one or two scenes. I yeah. never see him again. But I like that they show a few other people that are like the same age, and then the ones that were like in fifth grade that are now in tenth grade, and it's just kind of like. Huh. Yeah, one of the characters yeah. is actually one of those people who yeah, lived Brad the five. Yeah, Brad. Yeah. Brad Davis. Yeah, he was the one who lived through the five yeah. years, and it was all very interesting. And then, like you said, after that, after that turning point, it very much became a Marvel movie. Yeah. And I'm not really going to spoil. I'm going to try very hard not to spoil anything in this next couple sentences. But some of the best action. Yeah. So the, far. And we'll call it a dream sequence. That entire sequence was trippier than Doctor Strange. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was insane. It was my jaw at its finest. My jaw was hanging the entire time. Yeah. Anybody who's read the comic books and knows anything about the character, like, it was his character at its finest. Yeah. Anyone who knows anything about Mysterio. Knows what's coming. That being said, when they actually reveal what actually is going on, it was oh, very well done. Very that's well a whole done. lot different than I thought what was coming. But okay, cool. They, they did it very. They did it very yeah. well. And again, they used everything they had, and instead of trying to make it realistic, they ran with it. Yeah, and a, I think that everything in the movie has already been established in the MCU somewhere. Yep, and which I think works really well. I think they did the logical step. The, the logical logical step of just saying. Hey, what can we do with this? We've got these things. Let's push it. And they didn't hold back, and I think that worked beautifully for it. Yep. But so Marissa Tomei is fifty-five years old, by the way. Wow. Right. Yeah. Wow. She looks great for her age. Yes, she That's does. Better than great. She's got some wicked stuff going on in the background. I'm sure. <laughs> who, who did you make a deal with? Reveal your secrets. Mephistopheles. Didn't she steal it all from the dude from the wrestler? Yeah. Uh, Mickey Rourke? Mickey yeah. Rourke, yeah. Yeah, no, probably no. stole all of his youth because he looks like... He looks like roadkill. She, <laughs> she drained Uncle Ben. That's why Uncle Ben died. <laughs> oh, no. That's why Uncle Ben's not even mentioned. We have a casual... The only thing you meant... The fact that he has a suitcase. suitcase. Yeah, that's suitcase. about yeah. it. Yeah. And that, I yeah, won't yeah. lie, that's kind, of, that's kind of jarring. I like that that's all we get. I, we I'm don't need to see it again. That. No. And hell, this is my second favorite Spider-Man movie of this past year. So of of everything I've seen, my, so, I, I haven't seen Into the Spider-Verse, but I can. This is definitely one of my favorite, if not my favorite. Of the movies in the past year that have had Spider-Man in them, this is my third favorite. <laughs> you had to amend that. 
I forgot that he was in Endgame. Because I loved Endgame. That would be my number two. I absolutely loved Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I, I need to see that. I hear it nothing is but one of from all of you. Sure, the animation is kind of weird. And if you're oh, not, not ready for it, it's kind of... Jarring. Yeah. But to me, it is one of the best animated movies I've seen in a decade. Yeah. It yes. is just phenomenal. And the potential that they give to you for it, yeah. for opening things up, is unbelievable. Also love that it's not Peter Parker. Yeah. Yeah, I'm that's nice. Horribly, yeah. like, not horribly, I'm incredibly happy with the fact that it's Miles Morales. Yeah. As I kind of wish that they might have paid homage again to Donald Glover's nephew, yeah. who lives in Queens or... Uh, Hell's Kitchen or wherever he lives. I, I really wished that they had kind of touched on that again. Mm. Or the weird scorpions sting at the end of uh, the last... Homecoming. Uh, at the end of Homecoming. Like, there's a lot of these things near the end of other movies that they just haven't paid off yet. And yeah. We get to wonder how they're going to. This one felt like they were just kind of wrapping up the entire saga, the, the Infinity Saga. So... Felt like a good ending and wrapping up of other characters' storylines just was, through the eyes of Spider-Man. It was good, good decompression. Yeah. And, like I said, I think this is honestly my favorite Spider-Man movie so far. It blows the pants off of Amazing Spider-Man and, oh, honestly, yeah. the original Sam Raimi trilogy. Uh, Spider-Man 2 is pretty close to me. It, yeah, I will definitely agree. Although 1 is still awesome in its own right because of Will, uh, Willem Dafoe. <laughs> yeah, uh, Willem Dafoe was an amazing villain, so... But uh, and it, it definitely it definitely holds its place as a good contender for just good Spider-Man it, movie, though. It just makes me excited to see what villains are going to be coming next. Yeah, I'm, this honestly piqued my interest again, like Thor Ragnarok did, like Black Panther did, of what the MCU is going to hold for the future. The only thing that makes me sad is the fact that this there's only going to be one more Spider-Man movie. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Well, if they keep trending with like, like they have been, every character is going to get their three movies and then it's done. That's being said, Sony loves to run stuff into the ground. We know this. Well, that's true. But if they're smart, they'll end it at three and be done. You're I expecting think, a big corporation to be smart. I think ultimately we'll see him pop up in a third. Um, but he'll he'll go the way of Tony Stark, where he pops up in other movies. Yeah, yeah. Tony Stark, so Steve uh, Rogers. I think Peter Parker is going to be one of the biggest parts going forward. So. And yeah. you know what? That's fine. I, I have a feeling he's going to be the backbone of the Avengers moving forward. Yeah, and uh, again, I'm more than fine with that. Tom Holland is an amazing actor. Yeah. Seeing and a few other things too, <clears throat> other than uh, Spider-Man, he's. He's pretty solid. And seeing him do some of the things that he does later in the movie without giving anything away, using certain things, he's definitely going to... Is Peter Tingle? Not the Peter Tingle. <laughs> Peter Stop Tingle. calling him a Peter Tingle. No. That was a great guy. I think it was actually in the trailer, though. Doesn't matter. Let them the Peter Tingle? No. No, but, no, but let's, not, let's not go into it. Um, you're unsure. Yeah. But, so, uh, honestly, yeah. go see it. Yeah. Biggest thing I can say. It's definitely yeah. worth the time and money. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Alright. So, All right. shall I move into the main topic of the evening? Yeah. Sure. Cool. Anyone want to take this one? Because <laughs> I'm still a little in the dark as to how we're going to do this. So, I feel like 
Tom came up with the topic. <laughs> All right, Therefore, Tom. What's that, what's that I hear in the distance? That's a bullet train. <laughs> yeah, that's see that coming, did you? Nope. Wake up into the Netherlands. Never, I mean... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom. Okay. Take it away. Did I mention English is really good? Um, Take it away. <laughs> <laughs> we have fun here. Right. So, our topic this week is heroes in films. This has been a weird little ride. This has been, it's been contentious for the past couple of days, let's put it that way. Yeah. Because okay, all of you have been debating this, and I'd be like, okay. Well. Tom, why don't you talk about what you think yeah. makes a hero? So, a hero is somebody who steps up to rise above the basics of humanity to do something great and amazing to show what humanity could be or not just necessarily humanity but to show what people could be when trying to help somebody else out. John McClane and Die Hard. Basically. I mean, it can be somebody who isn't a good guy but at the same time happens to have that moment where just five seconds is all it takes to be a hero. Right, okay. Uh, That's actually kind of funny. Right. But, well, the, big, the biggest thing that I had, the I don't want to say issue, but the misunderstanding with, with you was if you were going with someone who's considered a hero because of the deeds they do, because of what they inspire... Or because of their, basically their personality. It's like, because some of the people that I would consider the heroes of their story aren't necessarily heroic. Right. So, that was the other thing that really, like, kind of tripped me up when trying to explain this. This particular week's topic. Because you don't necessarily have to be a good guy or the quote-unquote good guy where you're... I'm going to go out there and do what's right in the world. You don't have to be the Paragon. You don't have to be Superman, where everything you do is good and just, and you're, you know, trying to be that thing that up- uplifts humanity. That that was yeah, that was the big thing because it's, you have that the whole Superman thing where he's he's the symbol of hope, blah blah blah, inspiring people, and then you've got on that honestly on the opposite side of that coin, you've got Punisher, right? Who is nominally a good guy but he he's he's an anti-hero and he does not do it a nice way of cleaning up right and you've also got the people who are kind of in between like severus snape who are actually doing good things behind the scenes but they do, all their motives aren't clearly seen by everybody at all times so and may not necessarily be unselfish right so that's the problem though in the case of the hero sometimes the person seeing them as a hero doesn't actually get to see them in their true light and the fact that they are a villain. Sometimes. Like Catwoman, <laughs> primarily a villain. However, she has her moments of being a hero. Yeah, our heroes aren't necessarily good people. They're people. Right. So, I mean, Batman could technically be argued the fact that he's not really a good guy, considering the fact that, just like Green Arrow and... Tom uh, Stark. Tony Stark, they start off by killing people. Danny Rand. Yes. Yeah, uh, that's actually. They a good start point. their Sorry, careers I'm just, off. Of... I'm just listing off 
billionaires that turn out to be. <laughs> right. They they have all this money and they preach about trying to help out their communities and you know raising them up out of the pits yeah. of desperation where they're at. But they don't actually use their affluence and money and everything to actually do that. They use it to achieve selfish based goals to achieve very small victories where they could be doing a lot more. Batman, I'm going to spend all of my billions of dollars to create bat-themed things to scare low-life criminals to do these things instead of helping to improve the infrastructure of Gotham and, and such and so such. on and so forth. So I guess the big thing is, I think we've all kind of had our own criteria for this little category. So the big thing I have to ask is, what's yours, Tom? So for mine, I'm kind of across the board on this. I have heroes that are both tragic and your classic style hero. So I kind of pulled a little bit from all places. Just because I like having the diversity of what a hero is. And it also doesn't help the fact that modern day, the modern day definition of hero has changed significantly from what it was. Old school, we're talking Greek and Roman times, hero just meant someone who lived above and beyond the norm. Ajax was considered a hero and what's his most famous thing? Trying Eating to kill Deadpool. Oh. Yeah, you're not True. wrong. But uh, old school Greek Ajax was famous for being have, uh, having Athena cast an illusion over his eyes to where he didn't murder his fellows over jealousy and instead murdered sheep and then came awake, realized what he'd done and killed himself. But he's considered a hero. <laughs> because he lived larger than life, not because he was a good person. So nowadays, a lot of people think hero, they think good person. So it's a weird dichotomy. I feel like the main thing with being a hero across the board, no matter what they're doing, is it's not going to be a selfish thing. It's selfless, from what I can tell with most of... Especially with mine, the ones I pick, they're all selfless. They have a greater motive in mind. Whether it's family, friends, to the world in general, so on and so forth. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I mean, f could be for the most part. Depends, again, really on the hero that you choose. All right, the, so. All right, then. Uh, did you want to start with your actual list, Tom, or? Oh, no, I'm perfectly fine with somebody else starting off with theirs this time. Oh, very kind of you. You're welcome. I think I will go first, then. The, the way I picked mine is instead of what would be considered... I basically wanted either normal people who just stepped up, either for themselves or others, or just those who wanted to help people, even if it's not in a physical way, just mental, just talking to someone, those kind of, I wanted to focus more on those kinds of characters who wanted to help other people. So the first one I actually want to talk about is The Sixth Sense. I've seen that movie. <laughs> Hallelujah. Specifically, Bruce Willis's character, Malcolm Crow. He is a child psychologist, I want to say. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the entire movie, while it doesn't, while it isn't his movie, it's Haley Joel Osment's movie, Cole Sear. He is the main character. It is. The plot would not have happened, the story would not have happened were it not for Malcolm Crow. Because he does what no one else 
in Cole's life did, he listens to him. He talks with him. He it is very obvious that this is a man that wants to help kids that are that are having this sort of problem. Which makes what happens in the movie all the sadder. Mm-hmm. Really does. Life life kicked Malcolm Crow in the D. True that. But that's it's not a feel-good movie, but seeing the struggle of of these characters who want to better themselves or want to help others is in its own way uplifting throughout the sadness that does happen. Because you see Cole start to open up. You see him start to deal with his problems because he's had someone to open up with, to suggest, to talk with, as, as a therapist does. And it's not the traditional thing. Usually it's not... I mean, I, I like to joke that I'm the big action guy, but usually you don't go to a movie to see talkie-talkie through the troubles. You, a lot of people go to, <laughs> go to them to see Bang Bang. And this doesn't have that. It's a giant character study in the best way about bettering ourselves, about opening up to other people. Because a lot of us just need an ear to listen sometimes. It's true. And the, the message from that, I think, is a lot better than most. That's mine. So who's next on the chopping board? All right. Num- number three. Why don't Why don't I go? So Devin can have a little more time to formulate his answer. All right. He's been He's been doing that all night. Yep. Pretty um. Much. So for my first bit, I want to talk about kind of a block of movies with the same actor in them. He plays majority of the time. He plays a very similar kind of role, but regardless, I love it, and that would be Will Smith. In movies such as, you know, Men in Black, obviously. Because it's his job. In the first movie, he's kind of learning how to do it and learning, oh, this is really cool. And then near the end of the movie, he's like, oh, I actually have to step up and do this. Independence Day, one of my favorites with Will Smith. Um, He's doing it to save America. Uh, Patriotism at its finest. Oh, the world. The world. Mostly America. Let's, Let's be real. So, that, like I said, the world. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, other movies like iRobot, he kind of plays that same kind of character, turns his back on what should be to do what is right. Bright is one of the Netflix originals that he was in that I oh, yeah. really, really enjoyed. He was really good in that. Nice. I Am Legend. Sad. Sad times. Great movie. He was amazing in that movie. I loved his character. We all loved the dog. So yeah, so that same little bit. All those kind of movies where he's in the role of saving the world. The police officer, the detective, the men in black person. Agent, sure. It, it is agent. I think there's yeah. another one coming up that's similar. Is that Gemini Man. Mm-hmm. That, that's Gemini Man is also... That looks yeah. interesting. But continue, yeah. please. I'm sorry. That's okay. The other one with the Will Smith movies I wanted to mention was Pursuit of Happiness. Just a guy and his kid trying to do right by him the best that he can. Trying to make it. Trying to make it in the world. Based on a true story. Based on a true story. He does a lot of those lately. Yeah. Lately, yeah. Love the true stories. However, one of the movies where he would not be considered a hero, in my opinion, even though he's got superpowers, is Hancock. I love that movie. I think it's great. 
But for the vast majority of the movie, he's just a selfish douchebag. He's a dill hole. In the end, he only gets off his butt and does stuff because his wife or whoever tells him to. And that's about it. Yeah, I can see that. Well, if an average guy had superpowers, basically. Yep, exactly. There's also Wild Wild West, where he plays the same character. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, that was my tidbit for the first round of Heroes, was people like that, that they could be in a position of authority where they do it to do a job, but they also do the job because they enjoy it, or they feel a need to, and then also adding in the story about a father trying to make the best that he can out of their situation. So, yeah. And there's Deadshot. <laughs> I'm not going to see this. <laughs> That's the only heroic on the characters. And... Yeah. So, Devin, the time has come. Oh, man. Wait, De- wait can't we throw Tom up? You're on hold one more time. Now. Oh, good. <laughs> okay. Think more about so... it. So, I guess for my first one, this isn't my number one pick for this, but I'm going to go with it. Uh, General Maximus Decimus Meridius from The Gladiator. Um, So this character I chose because he is a man out for vengeance, yes. However, his vengeance and everything is the catalyst for trying to save an entire nation of people based on the last words of an emperor who he viewed as a father figure to him and he secretly thought but couldn't prove was killed by his own son and because he wouldn't swear allegiance to the same son was then going to be put to the sword and his family was also raped and burned and killed so uh this guy after finding himself in bondage and becoming a slave rises up to lead the mob of rome to take down an emperor russell crowe and joaquin phoenix right yes yes and jaman hansu it's an interesting pick because i know i personally don't see him as as a heroic figure he saves not only the members of the people he fights with as best as he can, especially once he gets to Rome, by forming them into essentially a small legionary unit. I will admit it's been a while since I've seen the movie. How And he desperately looks out for his friend who's helped him out since he was close to death when he first found himself being a slave, Jaman Hansu's character. But he is everything he does has a code of ethics to it. Okay, that and when I saw it, it might not just have clicked because just hearing that description, it's very much the reason I didn't put someone like John Wick on this. In that, yes, what they do has an end result of good, but their reasons and the way they carry art would not be defined as heroic. He's driven by vengeance, however. It's because he turned down the ability to have power because he didn't want the power, but he was the best suited because he didn't want the power. Okay, yeah, that's... From a selfish tyrant who is essentially a... Psychotic man-child. Yes. 
Because it's Nero that he's portraying, that Phoenix is portraying, isn't it? No, he's portraying... Commodus. Commodus, thank you. That's right. Thank you. Yep. The <laughs> gladiator starts, emperor. It's It all starts blending together, to be fair. Yeah. No, but... No, interesting pick. So, that was my character pick for my number three. Probably not the strongest pick, but I liked it. And the guy who goes, are you not entertained? Yeah, are you not entertained after throwing swords into the crowd? <laughs> Blood. Oh, yeah. Best hero ever, throwing swords at innocent people. Well, I mean, they're all free citizens who are there to see people butchered. They're Romans. Who cares about the Romans? The Romans. All right, Devin, quit stalling. It is now time. Tom was still talking. No, no, it's no, over. we're good. Oh, we're good. <laughs> My number three uh, used to be a soldier, of course, because all of these movies, the main character used to be a soldier, uh, and then he put that behind him. In the sequel, he became an Uber driver. Well, let's not talk about that one. He ends up befriending a young girl that is being controlled by a Russian, a bunch of violent Russian gangsters, and he just can't stand idly by, and he insists on doing the right thing and freeing her and beating the hell out of all of the Russians. I am saying Robert McCall from The Equalizer. Oh. I'm, yeah. I'm down uh, for that. I can dig it. I can uh, dig it. Kind of every man that just wants to be left alone but then is kind of dragged into this and goes fine and just does the right thing, beats them all up, goes okay and walks away. Shows why you leave that guy alone. Yeah, you leave the guy alone. Or... The real thing is, nobody even was pestering him. They were pestering someone that he didn't want to see injured. So he went after him and said, no, back off. They didn't back off. And he just, okay, fine. Removed them all and then saved her, saved anyone else being controlled by him and went his own way. And that's kind of akin to some of the other characters, like uh, most of the characters played by Clint Eastwood. Like yeah, Grand Torino or uh, Man with No Name and all these. It's very similar of just a vigilante that I'm sure that was probably on someone's list. Yeah. No. no. Uh, Callahan. Harry Calhoun. Callahan. Yeah, Harry Callahan, Callahan is definitely one of those guys who's not a good guy, but he's yeah. a hero. Yeah. But he's he not a bad. Does, he's not a good guy. He does his thing. He gets the job done, and then he goes his own way. That's kind of how Robert McCall is. He doesn't. It's not personal, it's just he's doing the right thing just in a violent You're doing way. this bad thing, you better stop. We ain't gonna stop. Alright then, I'll make you stop. Yeah. And I like that he sticks to the morals. I love all the stuff with him like timing out the fights and wanting it to be over and you know, it's just he's a character that is not a classic hero, but at the same time he is more heroic than most. He's also terrible. He doesn't need to do this, he just does it because it's the right thing. But that's uh, Equalizer, directed by Antron, Antoine Fuqua. <laughs> wow. one of the most fun names in Hollywood. All right. So that it. brings us back to the top of the order. Tom is really bad at remembering who went first. <laughs> I mean, I can go if you want. We don't. We don't back we don't, to the top of the order. We don't blame Tom. We just poke fun at him. That's true. All right. The second one I actually want to talk about is an older movie. 1987 American uh, sci-fi comedy film, Interspace. Okay. I haven't seen this in probably 10 years. I haven't seen this, period. 
It's, Not surprised. It's <laughs> dated. I will definitely say that. Directed by Joe Dante. Steven Spielberg served as an executive producer. It was inspired by the 1966 science fiction film Fantastic Voyage. And this one stars Dennis Quaid, Martin Short, and Meg Ryan. Great lineup. Yeah, with a couple other ones. Robert Picardo, Kevin McCarthy. I'll go with just the plot summary here. It's like in San Francisco, down on his luck, naval aviator Lieutenant Tuck Pendleton, played by Dennis Quaid, resigns his his commission and volunteers for a secret miniaturization experiment. He's placed in a submersible pod, and both are shrunk to microscopic size. They are transferred into a syringe to to be injected into a rabbit. Wait, 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 wait! Back up! Back up! Say that sentence one more time. He volunteers for a secret miniaturization experiment. He's placed in a submersible pod, uh-huh. and both him and the pod are shrunk down to microscopic size. Uh-huh. They are transferred into a syringe to be injected into a rabbit. Okay. But I think you can uh, see where this is going. Mm-hmm. The lab is attacked by a rival organization that plans to seize the experiment and steal the technology. Eventually, hijinks ensues, and the syringe and the lieutenant are injected into Martin Short's character. Got the name of Jack, I want to say? Yes. Jack Potter. A hypochondriac Safeway grocery clerk. The whole thing... Is it's a it's a sci-fi comedy so and with Martin Short too, it's a very interesting look because the hero I I would consider of this is actually Jack Potter. He's a normal, everyday guy just trying to get through life, and is caught basically with his pants down in a situation he never even dreamed of. Now Dennis Quaid's character eventually is able to talk with him. Like, talk in his head and he can hear him, all that sort of stuff. Okay. And as stuff, as the course of the movie goes, Dennis Quaid's character helps Jack start, like, believing in himself and standing up for himself. Okay. To the point where he's actually doing these heroic things because it's the right thing to do, in spite of the fact that there's a good chance he's going to end up in a very bad place if things go wrong. This, I don't know why, this is, your description is reminding me of Ratatouille. You're not far off. Okay. <laughs> Just make it so that Remy's inside the show. Ew. Yeah, okay. Osmosis Jones. Oh, I love Osmosis Jones. But no, this is actually, it's a really touching one because Meg Ryan plays Dennis Quaid's, it was either, it was either girlfriend or fiance. Love interest. Love interest, essentially, and there's a whole there's a whole interesting thing, the, a side story of their relationship, ongoing with that, and Jack ends up being uh, almost a therapist for the two of them because of thing. Well, because of their relationships, I want to say he's on the rocks. It's been a while since I watched the movie, mm-hmm. but because of things he knows, because Quaid's character tells him. It's basically that, okay, I know all about you, even though I'm a stranger, because this guy told me about it, and I need you to help me. 
that whole situation. Mm-hmm. And it ends up being... It ends up well for everyone, I will say that. Except for the bad guys. As it should. And honestly, it's just nice seeing the... It's described in here that Jack Potter is the hypochondriac. He kind of worries about everything. There's one point in the beginning where he actually starts hyperventilating when he first hears Quaid's character speak to him. And it's nice just seeing that character, through the help of the lieutenant, actually grow into someone that respects both himself and is willing to actually do something, do the right thing, because it is the right thing. Even though he knows he's probably just going to get pasted. Gotcha. Right. So now it's Jen. Okay, I will go. So I'm going to go with a really on-the-nose one, but it's great. And we also talked a little bit about it earlier. Mulan. Love Mulan. Saves all of China. End of story. (laughs) There's not really a whole lot to talk about with her. She starts out trying to fill her role, and then her father gets a call to go to war. And her father's old, he's not in the best health, and she says, there's no way you can do this, but he says, it is my duty, and I must honor the family, and you must bring honor to the family by marrying good men. Yeah, because he was injured in the last war, I think right? that's the big problem. Yep. So, she has this big identity crisis, says, well, we're not going to do that, we're going to strip these generals, and she goes to fight in place for her father. Ends up saving all of China. Badass woman. Love her. The end. She's got some great lines, too. Fantastic lines. She just is an all-around great character. I'm I'm excited for the live action. I'm I'm enjoying the Disney live action just because it's like my childhood reincarnated. So, yeah. Tom, go again. All right. So, my next one is a guy who is a college professor who goes out into the world and finds artifacts and tries to put them in museums and along the way ends up thwarting Nazis left and right and maybe falls in love a few times. And his name is Indiana Jones. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Dr. Jones. Right? thought you were talking about the librarian. Maybe. I mean, could be. You know what? That's actually not a bad See, I pick. thought he was talking about, like, Lara Croft, but... Nah. Again, could be. No, but but his name is... Not, it's not Indiana. So, he named the dog Indiana. Yeah. So, you would be able to see this character in Raiders from 1981, uh, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom, 1984, Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, 1989, and unfortunately, Indiana Jones in the, the Crystal, Crystal Skull... Skull. Not 2008. And... Well, it should never have been made. I don't have much of an issue with it. And the upcoming Indiana Jones project that is still yet to be titled. No. Yeah. Right. Anyways, so... The reason why I chose him is because... He is the guy's guy. I'm gonna go out there and do this thing because... It's the right thing to do to save this priceless piece of history... And sure, I get paid off of doing it and all these other things, but it also stops these Nazis from getting a hold of it and doing untold things like, you know, the Ark of the Covenant and ruling the world. Well, to be fair, a lot of the, uh, from what I remember in the movie's beginnings, 
most of the time he just wants to teach teach his class because he's a professor. Yeah. He's actually a professor. He's, he just moonlights as the uh, the crypt robber that he is. <laughs> yeah, he gets to go down and track things down for extraordinarily rich people who are willing to pay for them to be in their collections and then goes, mm, maybe you're not the person I thought you were. Maybe I shouldn't turn this over to you. And I'm not going to now because that's bad. So he doesn't. And along the way, he falls in love and does some things. But, like, he is literally, as much as he doesn't want to look out for the people, he doesn't want to make the connections, he just kind of wants to get this thing, get in and get out. He ends up making connections along the way with people that he genuinely starts to care about, regardless of how much he wants to admit that he does. I mean, short round, come on. He... Doesn't want to admit that he likes the character. Dr. Jones. <laughs> right. But, like, he legitimately cares. Marion, he falls in love with her, has a kid with her. Just saying. He his doesn't, father in three. Yeah, his father, Dr. Jones Sr., doesn't want to, you know, Henry Jones Jr. That's where he senior, gets it rather. from. That's, that, yeah. The senior's where he gets it from, is yeah. because he loves his son, but just... It, it was it was the time period. Emotions though. aren't a thing that men express. So, oh, you don't say. Really? Uh, that's sexist. That's what the women folk are for. <laughs> Moving on. Well, I mean, you have to admit the movie came takes place during the thirties, forties, and fifties. So no, no, there were there were stereotypes of the time. Exactly. So using those tropes, that's not the way I think. And anybody who really knows me knows that I don't think that way. Uh, so, so no, I, but people Indiana on the Jones. internet now think you do. Oh, that's fine. They'll um, think what they think. Yeah. No, Indiana Jones. Yeah, so I chose Indiana Jones. He's a hero in my book. He's inspired so many. I won't even say knockoffs, but just like tributes. Like you said, Laura Croft. There's. Nathan Drake in the Uncharted series. I was thinking the same thing, Nathan Drake. Yeah, because that's basically, that's Indiana Jones in video game form. I mean, yeah, but Nathan kind of steals stuff just because he wants to steal stuff and for money. I mean... He isn't as heroic, but still. Yeah. To be fair, in their disassembled part, or in the disassembled parts that makes up Indiana Jones, Legends of Tomorrow, uh, going forth, you know, there's a tons, there's tons of different things that are from... The idea of Indiana Jones. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, yeah, I chose Indiana Jones. He saved us from Nazism more times than I care to Got a book signed by Hitler. Yes, his father's journal. Not many people can say that. That's man. Senior's gonna wonder what went on when he sees that. <laughs> Senior's gonna look at it and go, hey, "It's my book," and he's probably gonna gloss completely over the fact. Good point. <laughs> Alright then. So yeah, that brings us to Devin and his number two. What's your second talking point? Uh, my number two. Uh, initially I was going to do some superhero thing, but then I pretty quickly learned, that's boring. Everyone talks about superheroes. They're traditionally not. That's, that's why. So then I kind of went into vigilantes. And sure, Punisher and Batman and all those kind of things. But I'm also like, it's kind of boring. Everyone talks about them. So then I started like thinking about other characters that do the do what a vigilante does, but in different ways. And I settled on a ser- a very there's five movies and there's three two series and 
it's very a little convoluted when you start looking at the the movies themselves. Three are actually in a series. One's a remake of one of them, and then they make a random sequel that is from a different book. Based on a book series, first three are by Steve or uh, Steve Larson. The fourth and fifth book are by David Lagerkrantz. And I'm I'm pointing out uh, Lisbeth Salander from Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Now she's not full on like heroic, always doing the right thing. Neither is Mikhail Blomquist. But as particularly the books and the movies go on, she becomes the girl who hurts men, who hurts women. She is ultimately doing the right thing in very disturbing and bad ways, but she is ultimately, she becomes a hero after being completely like not wanting to do anything heroic. She helps the helpless. She becomes a person, yeah, that helps the helpless. Especially as the series goes on. The first movie, someone hurts her and she just takes some of the worst revenge you can think of. But then she spends the rest of the movie dedicating all of her time trying to find a murderer that may or may not have murdered someone 40 years ago. And she spends a lot of her energy and time doing the right thing and ultimately going about it in a very dark and disturbing manner. But she still does the right thing. And to me, that's a more interesting hero than someone like Batman, who just has all this money and goes and does it, and there's no strife and no problem. Also reminds me of Dexter. Yeah. Uh, she is, like, Dexter, yeah, is another, is a hero. Super disturbing, and probably also considered a villain, but... Ultimately, he kills people that kill people. He's and, a serial killer, serial killer, I think yeah. it was the way it was and raised. Someone like Lisbeth Slander is very similar. She beats up those that deserve it. She will, like, torture a dude and then tattoo on his chest that he's a sadist, rapist pig. All in Swedish, because it's in, you know, Swedish. But it's a very... You did wrong to somebody, so I'm going to do wrong to you. That's the big and thing, is that she, I believe she makes sure of her facts before even coming close to do, doing anything. She always makes sure the person deserves it. And whether they deserve something that torturous? But, yeah. So, all of what you're saying just reminds me of one character that has a comic series as well as some interesting movies. Okay. Ghost Rider? Ghost Rider. That's a very yeah. good... Yeah. Is that what she is? She, Without the powers? She's closer to Punisher. Uh. Like, Ghost Rider judges people, good or bad, and I, I'm i not going to talk Ghost Rider, but I'm going to be talking about someone that does something very similar for my final. Um, potentially. But what Elizabeth Slander does is more akin to Punisher. Or Daredevil, I'd say. There, it's... Not even as much Daredevil. Daredevil is noble, and he's very, like, lawful. Well, it depends if he's, he's a lawyer. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Slander is very much chaotic, like, either chaotic evil doing, or, like, chaotic neutral doing, like, the right thing in a very bad way. Mm. Uh, hangs somebody upside down and, like, beats the crap out of him for beating up his wife and, wife and young kid. Like... That she does that at the beginning of um, Girl Who, whatever the, the newest one. 
Girl in the spider web, yeah. Yeah, I, that was in the trailer. Yep. Uh, having read the books, also the girl who takes an eye for an eye, that's kind of her thing. She will balance the scales by making sure that you can't do it again. And it's a very strict set of rules, but she always makes sure she's right, and she will do it whether the cops or other people say it's a bad thing. So she's always on the run. She's she's definitely a, a villainous type character, but she's doing it for the right reasons. Some people can't be taught. They can't be talked to. And I can at least respect that. Yeah, and that's one of the things going into this week. Uh, you look at Robert McCall in um, Equalizer. He's doing some horrible stuff for good reasons. And... Uh, Elizabeth Slander does some horrible stuff for good reasons. Those are a whole lot more interesting than Superman going around just saving people and being all inspiring. <laughs> I would rather watch a hero that does something absolutely terrible for the betterment of everybody. Wasn't that kind of the premise behind Kick-Ass? Yeah, uh, kind of similar. Uh, I mean, Kick-Ass is bumbling idiot when he comes to doing it, but, <laughs> but still, he tries to do the right thing and the intent do the is right there. thing. But he'll probably also get his ass kicked. Hence or, the name. What was that one? Like Super Eight with the the guy with the wrench. Super. So with the, yeah, that was it. Yeah. Shut up, crime! Whacks the dude in the head. Uh, he was like, crazy though. He was crazy though. Yeah. Uh, Rain Wilson as a, as a vigilante. And Punisher, yeah, going through just mowing down a bunch of evil people. He doesn't check. He collateral damage with him is a thing. He's going to create his own Punisher. I think that was comic, actually, where he essentially created his own Punisher. Yeah. And even Ghost Rider judges people. Good, bad, there is no in-between with Ghost Rider, and there's not much in-between with Punisher or Slander. Or Spawn. Or Spawn. Like, I love those kind of black and white, there is no middle ground type heroes. All right. So they're just much more interesting to me. So that's why I had such a hard time. Their reasoning is interesting. Yeah. It's more is more than that. They've got they're more dynamic. Yeah. They are they're the ones that will take action. They are not they are, those those are not reactive characters. Yeah. Those are proactive, which yeah, I definitely agree yeah. is more intriguing. The other one that I was thinking about maybe having for my number one is Dread from Judge Dread <laughs> and Dread. He is good, bad, there is no in between. He Sorry. is the law. And if you're he judges you as bad. He just kills you. <laughs> like, and even if you're not doing anything, like if you're just squatting in a place that you shouldn't be sitting, he will give you one warning, and if you're still there, he will just kill you. And he is as black and white as you can possibly be. So. All right, so speaking of what we're going to do for our number ones, why don't we roll into the All number right. ones? Well, my number one, to... Come back from the abyss. <laughs> oh, don't worry. There'll be more. Yeah, mine is a 2016 Disney film, animated, Zootopia. Yay! Great movie. It's so much fun. And the hero in question for me is the main character, Judy Hopps. Okay. It's like Nick Wilde is kind of a terrible hero. <laughs> oh, he's... <laughs> He's a broken person. That's 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 what Wilde is. Oh, yeah. he's got a. They they both have great arcs, and I like the sloth. Sorry. <laughs> Just because his name is Flash doesn't mean. 
You know what my favorite part of Zootopia? The memes that came out of it afterwards. There's a lot of good ones. <laughs> but no, it's it's got a lot of names in this too. There's a lot of people attached to it. Oh yeah. But yeah, Judy Hopps. <laughs> the amazing thing about this is that they had to change the story completely in about eight months. The original story is about how Zootopia was a dystopian thing that just collared like shock collared all the predators. Mm-hmm. It didn't test well on internal uh You don't showings. say someone, I think it was from Pixar, basically said it's like, well, what if instead of actual shock collars, it was just, you know, prejudice and social stuff? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a Brad Bird coming in. It's like maybe we should change this and everyone at everyone at Disney animated was like, oh, Yes, okay. Well the thing is like, Brad Bird. They did that and it's like that's also why some of this stuff is a little cliche. Because they did it in, like I said, about eight months, but they made they made Judy Hopps the the star of it and put out a very good film. Yeah. She's someone who wants to be a cop growing up, unlike the rest of her family. Like she she knew from a young age she wanted to be a cop to help people. That is what she wants to do, and you know. They were shown a scene in the beginning uh, where her as a little kid gets bullied by a bigger a bigger kid because of that dream, specifically a fox, which that doesn't play anything into it at all. Don't worry about that. <laughs> and she shows that she she wants to help people. She wants to right those wrongs. And the entire thing is her realizing the best way to go about it sometimes isn't always be, to be in your face with it. At least that's the way I... That's that's how the, the thought I took from it. She yeah. was just so happy to help in any way she could, even when they made her a, a meter maid, just, you know, a parking a te- person to put tickets on vehicles. She's the like, big thing... The I'm big... going to do it at the best I can. I'll put 200 tickets on these cars before noon. And she <laughs> did. Yeah, but then her meter expires and she gives herself a ticket. You're right. The, that's actually the big thing, is the integrity that she has is the climax of... The climax of the film where, or like, the, the the biggest issue where the whole city's basically rioting, you know, it's like against predators, blah, 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 because everyone's, because the predators are going crazy and no one knows why. The creators have said that there's, that from that, from that press, conf- from the press conference that happens where everything kind of goes downhill fast to... When you're next shown is basically a three month period of the riot, of rioting, of all this, the picketing, all that sort of stuff. And Hops feels so bad about the fact that she feels it's her fault that she actually resigns from the force over it. And it's an interesting sort of integrity that she feels it's her fault, so she feels she has to take responsibility for it. Hilarious enough, that little jaunt back actually cause her to find out what the actual problem is and then go on to solve the case blah 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 blah. but the fact that she puts such an emphasis on doing the right thing that because she feels she failed that badly she should not be allowed to try again is definitely interesting it's a great movie plus she's just so cute little bunny (laughs) don't call him cute going to I don't care they can't hear me (laughs) <laughs> Alright, well For my uh, number number one I suppose I just kind of wrote these down and said Oh, 
Yeah, I like those. Didn't really put them in a particular order. Sure. I decided to do this one last because I really think it's more of an in-the-background hero. It's a 2009 movie based on a book. However, I'm just talking about the movie because I believe the endings are different. Called My Sister's Keeper. And if you want to have a good cry, like a real good cry, go watch this film. So Abigail Breslin plays Anna Fitzgerald, who is the younger sister of Kate Fitzgerald, played by Sophia, I'm going to butcher her last name, Vasileva? That's a weird middle name. It's her last name. No, 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 no. I'm going to butcher her last name. That's a weird middle name. So anyway, so Abigail Breslin's character, Anna, plays Kate's younger sister, who essentially was only, only came to the world of living to be a donor for her sister. Her sister has very advanced stage, I believe it's leukemia. It's either leukemia or some very bad cancer, in which she needs pieces and parts essentially from her sister because neither of the parents are quite uh, the right percentage, the right amount of That's a match. Of a match for her. And the doctor says off the record, I would never say this, but siblings are more likely to match than the parents. Which so makes the, sense. So the parents decide to have this pieces and parts baby. And anytime Kate needs something, she needs blood, she needs bone marrow, she needs whatever, they get it from Anna. That, this is taking a bad turn. Yep. So, Anna gets fed up. She's eight, nine, ten, around that age. Kate is an early teenager. She decides, I don't want to do this anymore. My parents can't make me do this. Because they were Anna's parents, they pretty much had say over whatever since Anna was a minor. Anna decides to go find a lawyer, and she sues her parents. And she's like, hey, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not being this test tube whenever you need me baby. I want to be an actual kid. And so throughout the movie, you have Anna fighting with her parents and the parents, uh, Cameron Diaz did a fantastic job in this movie, by the way, playing as a mom, Sarah. They are fighting with her, saying, you know, we love you too. We really, we didn't make you just to be Kate's pieces and parts extras, you know. Spare body bag. Spare body bag. Yeah, it's a great way to put it. And Anna says, yeah, you kind of did. And she brings up all these different medical documents. They take everything to court. And at the end of the movie she ends up winning and her parents can't use her for that anymore. But the consequence is Kate doesn't have anyone else that's close enough for a donor and Kate dies. But then they go back to before Anna sued her parents and she was talking to her sister and her sister said, I'm so tired. I just want it to be over. I'm so sick of being sick. And that's why Anna decides to sue her parents because she loves her sister so much that she decides to stop being that extra parts person and she sues her parents so that Kate can die. You know, it just kind of brings home that whole debate people have. How long do you keep someone going 
for for you, sickness for yes. for do you keep them on indefinitely my my grandmother just recently passed and she, they found they could because late last year they found that she had a brain tumor mm-hmm. that was that was growing and after just a couple months of chemo to try to reduce it to try to extend it she she just stopped because it wasn't going to help and it was just going to extend the pain right so it kind of comes down to that is that how far do you try before you're just hurting them more than you would if they were just gone right that's why assisted suicide is slowly becoming more of a thing around more, the world. I more know, accepted. More accepted. I think Switzerland or Sweden is one of the countries that says you can, you have to have certain criteria. But I want to say Switzerland because that makes sense for yeah. them. And then I think it's Oregon, Oregon in the U.S., where you can go if you have a terminal illness or six months liver, yada, 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 where you can make the decision to uh, end your own life. Because we do it with animals every day. We don't want our pets to suffer. So why would we let people suffer? And that's kind of the big thing is that some people just, they get stuck in that thing of, oh, I can make them live another day. But is that day worth it? Right. So that's why Anna Fitzgerald from My Sister's Keeper is one of my favorite heroes. Takes a lot to say that, especially when you're nine. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Tom. So us, please. Yeah. My character is basically like the paragon type hero. This person is originally just a curious individual who ends up getting sucked into a trip. He didn't want to necessarily go on in the first place, but because he gets to do it with his best friend and employer, he is very, very happy to go along with him. Uh, and his other two best friends. And along the way, he meets some other friends and ultimately are asked to destroy a specific object. Uh, his name is Samwise Gamgee, <laughs> who sacrifices everything for his friend, uh, Frodo, including almost putting his own friendship on the line to save the life of Frodo because Frodo is blinded by the corruption of the ring at one point Sam is trying to lighten the burden that Frodo is carrying and offers to take the ring off of his hands and Frodo being already starting to be corrupted at this point by it can't see that Sam is just trying to help. And so he doesn't starts to distrust him. And the fact that Gollum is there as their guide through the through Mordor to get to Mount Doom to destroy this ring. And he is slowly trying to poison Frodo into believing that Sam is not there to actually help, but to try to steal the ring. Because Gollum wants the ring back. It becomes a pretty tragic tale. Uh, 
the fact that Frodo almost dies and Sam actually goes, you know, I'm not going to let you die. If we're going to die, we're going to die together. And you're going to achieve your goal. You're going to destroy this ring. So if I can't carry the ring, I will carry you. And he is literally carrying him up the mountain. That was a powerful scene. It was. Uh, the fact that uh, he gets accused of eating all the lembus, the elven waybread, by Gollum while they're sleeping. When Gollum literally just chucks it off the side of the cliff. As they're going up the steep steps. He, and then just sprinkles crumbs on his jacket, and he's, or on his cloak, and he's just like, look, he's doing all these things. Uh, when Samwise thinks that Frodo is killed by Shelob, he takes Sting and the ring and becomes a ring bearer and goes, nope, we're going to complete this. Even if I couldn't save you, I'm going to do this because this is what you set out to do. So what you're saying is Sam is Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite. (laughs) Good guy throwing a bad situation. Right, and he is given the job by Gandalf to help and protect Frodo and to see him through this. And he takes that responsibility 100% to heart. And he rises to the occasion. And he's just like, I am going to do this to the best of my ability. And I won't let anything bad happen to you if I can help it. Because you're my charge. And he's essentially the paladin of the group. He's 100% there. He's some. He makes some bad choices like any human-type character would do, even though he's a hobbit. Uh, but he literally is... He, he doesn't... He can't see past the evil that is Gollum, which is one of the reasons that they're saved in the end, because the corruption that's within Gollum from the ring just never leaves him. But, yeah, I mean... Sam is there, and he's a true caring friend to the end. There's a lot of people who consider him the hero over Frodo. Yeah. And there's definitely points where you could see that. Yeah, I mean, Frodo, sure, yeah, he's a hero. He's the one that steps up. Fine, I'll take the ring. And I'll do this. Plus, he also had it on him for how long? Right. So there were points where he couldn't be as strong as Sam, who hadn't had as much of the corrupting influence affect him. True. And Sam is a strong character, but he's strong in other ways. He may not have had the will to withstand the negativity of the ring for as long as Frodo did, but he is 100%. I am dedicated to completing this goal and making sure that you come out of it with me. Because this is what we do. We are best friends and we will stick to it to the end. Great character. Samwise Gamgee. Alright, that brings us to the last The Abyss. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, (laughs) The deep, dark pit of despair. So I've been, like, racking my brain trying to come up with an interesting hero. Because, like, I I delved into various what makes a hero and all that. Like, I actually have a list of what makes a good heroic leader. Not sure how I ended up on this, but... Uh, it's going to be a weird pick, and I'm sure there's going to be pushback, but I really don't care. 
But I'm just going to read the number of things on this, what makes a heroic leader. Uh, first off is courage. Okay, first I'm thinking, definitely has that. Passion, they have a, an ideal and they're going to go for it. Integrity, they have an internal ethics and they will follow their internal ethics. Honesty, this character I'm thinking never tells a lie in the movie he's in. He's in a few movies, but there's one particular that he is ultimately the hero of the movie. In a way. <clears throat> Confidence, yeah, definitely. Patience, yep. Uh, and then it gets kind of weird when you start looking at like some of the more esoteric stuff like self, selflessness and caring and it's there. But I'm talking about Thanos in particularly Infinity War. Okay. Yep. Go on. Now, going back up, he has a goal and it's to ultimately peacefully and randomly remove half of the population to save the rest of the population of everything. He knows that in the future, everyone will die unless he does this. He brings this up and he said, he's told no, and he's stripped of all title. Yeah, from his own home planet. Yeah. He's, they called him insane and all this. Uh, if we're going the, the route of a hero's journey, he found the call to arms. The everyone is going to die in however long I have. They never really get into this in Infinity War at all. But if you go on the heroic's journey, the call to arms is he knows that everyone is going to die and he's trying to save as many as possible. Right, in the long run. He, he's looking at big picture stuff. Yeah, he's looking at big picture, whereas everyone else is just trying to stop him. Mm. If you look at him as the hero of... He's the hero of his own journey, which... Any good villain is the hero of his own journey. No one thinks himself evil. Yeah, unless you're legitimately like, Insane. I'm evil and I'm killing people. In the movie Infinity War, Thanos himself, if you don't count the snap, because there was no pain in that, he kills Loki who tries to stab him. Much like any other hero would, if, the, if a villain turns and tries to kill you, you will defend yourself. Yeah, how many times has that played out? DBZ comes to mind specifically. Yeah. Uh, he then hit a point where he had to make the biggest sacrifice. Every hero has a point where they have to go into literally the abyss uh, in literature, and he had to sacrifice something that he loves in order to achieve his goal. This was Gamora. A lot of people say, well, he killed Gamora. He did that to sacrifice one person to save Phyllis. Otherwise, in the movie, he does not touch a single person. He does not Initially, he, he does not initiate any of the conflicts. Yep. Now, all every time he's fought, it's either in self defense, or, or it's, it's to get it's to get a stone. Which once he's finished, he immediately backs out. Yeah, he it's never... most of his like cronies that do the actual fighting. And even that, they don't particularly <laughs> go to kill people. They're always going after a certain thing. Right. They are going for a specific. Vision, object. I would say, because he is a, an AI consciousness. I don't know if you can really count that as dead. Plus, that gets you. That's he was already thing. killed, so that's, that's kind of a weird thing. Yeah. And the weird but, thing is that what, well, what's interesting about that is the fact that Thanos himself respected uh, Wanda for doing that. Yeah, it and just was mute, moot at that point. Yeah, and it's very much like a lot of the heroes. Thanos has a goal, and he is going to do that goal. And nothing's gonna stop him. If you get in his way, he'll just kind of shove you to the side, complete his goal, and then leave. 
Uh, he's not ultimately the villain of this movie. He is trying to show people that what they are doing will lead to the ending. And even after he does snap, and for those of you who haven't seen Endgame, I'll spoil the first ten minutes, he destroys all the stones so he is not tempted to use them for other nefarious reasons. And specifically, he, sa- he says specifically so temptation. Yeah. The temptation was too great. I had to destroy them or something along yeah, the lines. Yeah, he doesn't so he's not tempted to use them again. And he destroys that's, all of them. It's a very interesting thought process because the biggest showing of the fact that he's not going out of his way to kill people is in that final bid for the Mind Stone. Yeah. He, could, he had all five other stones. He could have easily rent everyone there and just flat out killed them. Yeah, and he, he didn't. walks in, he pushes him out of the way, gets the stone, and then there is the scene with Thor shoving the axe into his chest that it's shown whenever you see this thing about is Thanos the hero or the villain of the movie. Thor tortures Thanos, and it's just kind of this weird, like, yeah, you have all the, the odd stuff going on with Nebula, which, yeah, sure, that's kind of really evil. But at the same time, she's not dead. And you get a lot of things with someone like James Bond where to get the information he needs, he'll shoot someone in the kneecap or Mm -hmm. he'll do some pretty twisted stuff. And it's no different than what Thanos does in Infinity War. Yeah, but then context... The second Thanos you get in Endgame, that's a a little different. That's That's a a different Thanos, but yeah. But no, what's interesting about the, the Thor thing is that Context-wise, when that happened, everyone's cheering because, well, Thanos is getting comeuppance, as it were. But then when you stop and think about that, it's that Thanos says it it himself. You should have gone for the head. Yeah. You shouldn't have tried to hurt me. You should have tried to take me out. Yeah. And it's almost that scene with Thor hitting him with the axe was akin to, again, a Bond villain monologue. He, he could just shoot Bond in the head and it's done, but instead he talks about how he wants Bond to die, you know, in Goldfinger and yeah. all that. So Thor, at that point, is very akin to a villain. His ego is taken over completely, yeah. and he wants to show showcase that, no, 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 you won because you surprised us. You didn't win because you're better. He's a victim of his own hubris. You said that in uh, Sam Gamgee that it almost loses everything. You know, it it ultimately pushes him to a point where there's not a whole lot left. When, after Thanos snapped his fingers, you know, young Gamora in the Soul Stone or whatever asks, what did it cost you? And it literally everything. He, he has, has nothing devoted left. his life to making sure that the races of the universe will continue to thrive. At the end of it all, he was satisfied. Yeah. That and end shot was a man satisfied that he's completed his life goal and now he can just rest until he eventually dies. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like with Sam and Frodo at the end of Return of the King. They've resigned themselves to the fact that this was a one-way trip and they weren't going to see the Shire again as much as they would like to. And there were things that they were going to miss. They're doing it for the greater good. Yep. Like right, Taco. And, yeah, very <laughs> similarly in... Thanos' story, he is doing this all for the greater good. The great God. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I would have loved to talk about Nicholas Angel from from uh, Hot Fuzz. But <laughs> at the same so time, funniest. 
all the people in Hot Fuzz. You're doing it for the greater good. Like, right, just twisted, but still. So it's one of those that I think if you analyze Infinity War, thinking about Thanos as the hero slash protagonist of the movie, it's a much different because you realize that the Avengers are like brashly going after him, trying to pick fights with him, and all they want to do is get six things to save the future of you know every race. And the thing is, there's a couple points where yeah. they could have done. They could have made the sacrifice that Thanos is willing and able to make, but yeah. they just don't because those pesky emotions. It's like yeah. what, what, what does uh, Steve say? It's like we don't, we don't sacrifice. We don't trade lives. We don't trade lives. It's like, well, yeah, you screwed up there, buddy. Yeah. So it's one of those that it is a very tragic hero if Thanos is a hero at all, and I could see both sides of the same coin. Definitely. Because personally, I think in Infinity War itself and the first few scenes of Endgame, Thanos is doing his best to be a hero, even if he's going about it in a dark way. In the way he knows he is doing the right thing. Yeah, just nobody else shares the same vision. Right. And I think it'll be interesting in the world moving forward if what he did ultimately betters everybody by seeing what they lost. Which ultimately, I think, is the reason why in Endgame they don't have them all pop back. Pop back, you know. Back then, they actually, you lost this. What are you gonna do? Now? What are you gonna do to make sure it doesn't happen again? I think, and that's kind of one of those that Thanos, the original Thanos. That's the point: is that he's doing this to embedder everyone moving forward. And once he finishes it, he doesn't care. He's no, he he his was bad work is end. done. He's fine with whatever happens. So. I'm curious. I'm like I like I said before when we were talking about Spider-Man. I'm curious going forward what's going to happen. If you're right in that, people are going to be more willing to just accept that and, and just better themselves because they don't know how long they're going to have. They don't know when something like that's going to happen again. Yeah. Yeah. Weird choice for a hero, but. You aren't the first one to say it, and... I think it's a really interesting concept. Yeah. That's why it's why the villain should always have an actual reason for what they do. Yep. But, to move on from that, and wrap up this little day, uh, Jenny, I think you saw an interesting movie over the past week. I did. I actually watched it today, just before I came here. Oh, so it's fresh in your mind. It's very fresh. <laughs> uh, Go on. Fresh. So, I was recommended to watch Parasite Eve, which is the category of the, what the F did I just watch movies? And it fulfilled that. It definitely fulfilled that. So, just starting out this movie, which, by the way, I watched on YouTube. It was free. There was free captions. It wasn't the best quality, but I still understood the gist of the movie and, you know, what was everyone was going for. So, in the beginning, when they're doing the credits to this movie, the intro credits, you know, I noticed something interesting. The musical composer was Joe Hisaishi, who also does the Ghibli movies. Hmm. And I stopped it. I was like, "That that joke is actually like the same the same guy, same guy." 
So going going into the movie, I was like, okay, so the musical score is going to be great. So movie starts out, has its own little thing going on, given the backstory, yada, yada, yada. Um, wife gets into a car accident, declared brain dead, and then her husband is so distraught over losing her, he decides to take her liver, the transplant team comes and asks for the kidney, and he says, only on one condition, after lots of prompting, only on one condition, you give me her liver. And the doctor from the transplant team wants his kidney so bad for one of his young patients that he says, you know what? Sure, fine, you can have her liver. Whatever. I don't know what you're going to do with it, but sure, take it. So, mm, liver and yeah, so therein lies the beginning of the actual plot. Beginning she, of the end. Yeah, so the husband is a scientist studying mitochondria. If I knew more about science, it would have made a little more sense. All I remember is mitochondria is a powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> Thank you, 10th grade science class. But essentially, the, the mitochondria in his wife in particular were this sentient being from millions of years prior called mitochondria eve in which the first human appeared in africa after all the evolution yada 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 so okay sure whatever so crazy ass husband takes his wife's liver just just from that alone just him being a crazy ass man who is so desperate to get his wife back he starts talking to her her liver cells interesting movie on its own and then they start splitting and splitting and splitting (laughs) and splitting and they end up reforming into his wife. Okay. Really weird, right? Yeah. He's so happy to have her back because he's a crazy-ass man that he doesn't think about the other thing he let the other doctor have, which was his wife's kidney. Kidney gets transplanted into this young girl. She ends up having problems. Big surprise. And they realize that the mitochondria is trying to have a baby and implant it in a little girl so that it can remake the entire race, essentially. If that's not a what-the-fuck movie, <laughs> I don't know what it is. So, I really enjoyed it. And the fact that Joey Saishi was the one doing the musical composure, there was a scene with the man and his wife seeing each other again, and the piano and the violin started... And I was like, am I watching a Ghibli movie right now? This is really conflicting. I don't like it. Like, I love his I love his work and his musical score, but this is really conflicting, being that it's so close to his Ghibli movies, which are nice and serene and peaceful and not crazy. So yeah, I enjoyed the movie. The Foley art, amazing. Because of all the little squelchy noises, squishy water dripping, all of that. They amplified it so loudly it made me squirm in my seat. And there was a part in the movie where a bit of the squishy mitochondria drips onto the scientific assistant or his friend and goes into her ear and, like, takes over her body. Yeah. And all I thought was, whenever I take a shower and I get water in my ear, that's all I'm going to think is this mitochondria taking over my brain. You're welcome. So, that is my little synopsis of Parasite Eve. Definitely... A weird movie. And like I said, that is what 
is then transitioned into the PS1 game. Yes. And it's... I would honestly suggest seeing a video walkthrough of it, mm-hmm. because unless you have like a PS3 and can buy it. Because it's a fun game. It's a very fun game. But the visuals on it, because this is Square Enix back in mm-hmm. late 90s, so hilarious enough, Parasite Eve was a tech demo for Final Fantasy VIII. Mm. And it is a game I would love them to remake. I would love to have... It didn't, they don't even have to change the battle system because the battle system was fun. Maybe refine a couple points of it, but for the most part, m- most part, if they just updated the graphics to mm-hmm. modern standards, it would be horrifying in the best way. So yeah, I mentioned to my husband before he left for work, I said, I'm going to watch this weird movie called Parasite Eve. He goes, you mean the game? I've played all the games. What? There's a movie? I'm like, yeah, the movie's based on a book. So this weird, weird story went from it's a book to it's a movie to it's a full-fledged video game and it's actually a popular thing. The first two are good. The third one was done after they lost the rights. Mm. And I'm sorry your husband played it. (laughs) Because it's crap. (laughs) So yeah, so with that, with the weird WTF movies scarred me a little bit. Squishy noises abound. I, I love I, that, like, one of your big things is the Foley. And I'm like, nobody's, nobody ever cares about Foley artists. I love <laughs> Foley <laughs> artists. No, but sometimes they can nail it on They the have a fantastic job, a really interesting job, and I commend all the Foley artists out there. And the way they sometimes have to get the noise that they yes. get is incredible. I, I did watch a short little uh, video about how they made like horror films like they made those noises and they took like wet cabbage and they twisted it to make it sound like oh yeah oh, a lot of less I love cabbage it. i love it. i love it vegetables and the squishing anyway anyway so that was that was a time okay squishing it's all i can think of now though the biggest so, I, I do want to interrupt one hmm. question what was the what was the first thing that basically said you were in for a wild ride for it what was that what was the first scene the first instance where it's like Oh, this is going to be weird. I mean, I already knew because of the premise that you gave me. I'm trying to... Th- the, oh, I know what you're going for. The freaking bird <laughs> and the snail. I wasn't specifically going for that, but that is definitely one of the big ones that pops into my head. In the very beginning of the movie, the one scientist is trying to teach these kids about mitochondria. And they're about eight, and or, eight, eight or nine, somewhere in there. They're young. And she says, oh, you all have bacteria. You have it in your intestines. It helps you digest food. And the kid's like, ah, no way. And they see a snail. They're like, oh, it's a snail. Let's go check that out. And she goes, you want to hear a story about the snail? You want to hear a story about how the snail's going to die in a violent manner? (laughs) And talks about how the snail is going to be eaten by a bird because it wants to have the bacteria from the snail to go into the bird's stomach. Yeah. And then a crazy-ass bird comes down and chomps this snail. I mean, chomps it. So much chomping and biting and, yeah. again, the they yard. They don't really cool. cut away either. No, it's all right on this bird, chomping the snail, and then it finally flies away and you get the remnants of the snail. Yeah. It, it's still very... The snail. The story about the snail itself is kind of creepy because there's talking about how there's a symbiotic relationship between the bacteria in you mm-hmm. and what you do with it to, to help it along, which falls into the snail where it has a symbiotic relationship with a parasite to allow it to 
I believe it's built up its shell. Yep. But eventually, the parasite grows out of hand and then basically wants to <coughs> move along like seeds or gestating something else. So it basically takes control of the snail and makes and puts it out in the open and it makes it appealing to birds by wiggling the antennae around mm-hmm. to actually actively get its host killed. Yep. If anybody's seen anything about The Last of Us game, Cordyceps specifically, that it is a spore that infects ants, basically making them zombies to where they eats it from the inside out, controls it to where it goes to a a high vantage point, and basically clamps clamps on there and literally grows out of its head. It's nasty. It is the creepiest thing. And that's the setup. That's in the first ten minutes. That's the setup to the movie. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be a fun, family-friendly movie. So, what does that bring us to this week? This Happy week, times. I want to. I want to backtrack a little bit because that was a lot. So, I gave the boys an interesting challenge. Find me a nice G-rated movie. That is harder than it than it seems. And because that it's G-rated, it's a lot of children's movies, which I have seen. However, we are not including the movies from the pre-MPAA era that say they're G, they're technically unrated. Whole different story. So, give me a nice G-rated movie so I can recover from this one. Who wants to go first on this trusty? Fine then, I'll go. (laughs) Okay, uh, first one I'm going to toss up, I'd be surprised if you haven't, Anastasia. Oh, I've seen Anastasia. Okay, that was I would have been very surprised if you hadn't. It's a great film. It's definitely not the actual story, but yeah. No, but it's the one that it, it did for me, for Russian culture, what Hercules did for Greek mythology. Mm. It got me interested in it. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Second one I had, The Pebble and the Penguin. <gasps> I've seen The Pebble and the Penguin! Son That's of so a cute! <laughs> Alright then, third one. And I'm going to get screwed, and at this point I'm not going to care. Cats don't dance. I have seen Cats Don't Dance. Son of a... Cats Don't Dance and all dogs go to heaven. I got nothing. Who wants to go next? Uh, give me a second, maybe. You two go. I've also seen Oliver and Company, if you're thinking of that one. So no, that, I, we've talked about that one before. So cute. All right. How about a movie called The Road Home? The Road Home. No, I have not seen that. Would you like to guess what it's about? Um, essentially a homeward bound type deal, maybe? No, not exactly. Okay. <laughs> okay. So The Road Home is, first off, it's a Chinese film. Yeah, that would be why. Yeah. 1999, directed by a director named Zhang Yimou, who went on to do, like, House of Flying Daggers and Hero and a bunch of these really gorgeous films. This is Zhang Ziyi, uh, who ended up being in, like, Crouching Tiger, again, House of Flying Daggers and a bunch go, going forward. This is her first film she ever made. Hmm. It's about a. There's two storylines going on. One is in black and white, which is modern Ooh, day. Ooh, interesting. Different. And one is a flashback, which okay. is in color. I like that they differentiate that. Yeah. Uh, I'll admit some of the black and white can be a little jarring, just the style of the two. Okay. But, yeah. Uh, in modern day, a city businessman, Luo, Luo Yusheng, returns to his home village in northern China for the funeral of his father, the village teacher. He finds his elderly mother insisting that all the traditional burial customs be observed, despite the fact that times have changed so much. 
and that involves many people carrying his father's body from the big city back to the back to the village like he used to commute when he was younger. Uh, the road home, or that is called the road home. As Yusheng debates the complications involved in organizing such a feat, he remembers and tells the story of how his father and mother first met 40 years ago uh, when she was just 20 or so. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sounds cute. So it's ultimately a romance story between the mother and the father. Okay. And back to the, the future son, without the incest. Yeah, <laughs> the son telling the story of how they met. So is this in Chinese or is this like it a... It is in Chinese. Okay, it is in Chinese. It is a drama history romance, which somehow is rated G. And I was like, whoa, wait, that was rated G? <laughs> it's a great movie. Okay. So I had to rewatch it. That's one of the ones I rewatched this week. Okay. And yeah. Okay, alright. So, Tom, you think you got one? No, 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 revisit. Hang on. Oh, oh, James got, got it. He's I got, got three it. more guesses. Oh, we got three more, okay. Surprisingly enough. Okay, first one Little Nemo. No. Adventures in Slumberland. No. Yay! <laughs> Good you didn't name mine. <sighs> did you want to go? Did you want to ask about the other two to see if I've seen them? No. I'm curious. Because. <laughs> If you want, that's fine. But so far, I'm the only one that's live action. <laughs> yeah, very surprising. The the other two I had in mind were, were back a dinosaur's tale. Story. I've seen that one. Good because it's a good one. And the third one I had was Page Master. Oh, I love Page Master. I've seen that too. So I love that. I went to China. <laughs> hey, I'm surprised I got it with Little Nemo. Me too, actually. <laughs> we're all surprised. So you want to guess on that one? Little Nemo, I'm gonna guess not about the fish. Uh, considering is this, it's... Is this about Captain Nemo? No. Okay, then I have no idea. Little Nemo. 1989 animated film. Okay. Released in Japan as simply Nemo. Alright. Japanese-American animated musical adventure fantasy film. Boy, that's a lot. Directed <laughs> by... Uh, Masami Hata and William Hurts. Hmm. Yeah. Not William Hurt, right? H-U-R-T-Z. Okay. I was like, wow, that would be a weird thing for <laughs> William Hurt to direct. I completely agree. But where is it? The problem when I had to find stuff. It bombed in the box office, by the way. Fantastic. In the Japanese release, and didn't really do great in, in the U.S., but it's I enjoyed it. It opens with the young boy Nemo experiencing a nightmare in which he's pursued by a locomotive. Okay. Upon awakening the next day, he goes with his pet flying squirrel, Icarus, to see a parade welcoming a traveling circus. He's unable to see the circus because his parents are too busy to take him. Oh. Later that night, he imitates sleepwalking in a failed attempt to sneak some pie, going against a promise he had earlier made to his mother. Upon falling asleep... That night, he's approached by figures from the parade. It, there's gonna, I can't go through all this because it basically says the whole thing. Yeah. He then basically gets taken to the, to the kingdom of Slumberland to play with the princess as a playmate. It, and then eventually the king gets kidnapped by the nightmare and he has to go free the king. It's a, it's wacky. How long is this movie? 90 minutes? 95. 95 
The original cut. The edited one's 85. Okay. It... It's a weird one. <laughs> is this one in English or is it in Japanese? Oh, it's English. There's, there's an English release. I have... Okay. I might still have the VHS at home, actually. Oh, man, I'm going to have to hunt down a VHS player. Oh, no, $5 yard sale item. Down. No, I, I think you can easily find it somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. But, yeah, it's like that's that's how old it is. And I remember okay. I remember watching it as a kid and enjoying it. Okay. This makes me think think of a line from Kevin in the Woods, the... The stoner's reading a book about Nemo, and it's just, Nemo, man, you gotta wake up. Your shit is topsy-turvy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's That's not a bad thing. way of phrasing yeah. it. It's Marty. All right. So I know I screwed Tom with the last one I said, though yeah. I didn't screw him so much as make him realize that, oh, no, she's seen it. I've seen it. All right. So Page um, Master is a good film, though. It's quite good. <sighs> what you got? Action. Okay. For some of it. So I don't know how weird I want to go with this. Go weird. Go weird. Give it a shot. All right. Babes in Toyland. Babes? Really? Babes in Toyland. That's right. That is G. Is it about the pig? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, babe is in Toyland. <laughs> What's not to get? Is it about babies? No. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that. Okay, so. How can a porno be G? <laughs> so, Babes in Toyland came out in 1986. Mm-hmm. Older movies. Except for yours, I think. Shot, in, mm-hmm. shot primarily in Germany about a young girl who wakes up in the realm of Toyland where she teams up with her family and friends to overthrow the evil Barnaby. So, it is live action starring Drew Barrymore. Drew Richard Barrymore? Morgan, uh, Elaine Brenner, Keanu Reeves. What? Wait, Reeves was what? that? Pat Morita. Oh, Pat Morita. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, okay. I love how we got the one live action, the one live action that's just reminiscing, reminiscing about, like, a young romance, and then we got the two slumber so, oh, and by the way, mine is the third remake of a film. Interesting. There were two previous, one in 1936 and one in 1960 something. Okay, so the road home just sounds really sweet. It reminds me of like my grandparents when they told me the story of how they met. We got little Nemo in weird time dreamland, apparently. Sorry, 1934 and 1960. Uh, and then Babe in Toyland with a bunch of actors I would love to see as babies. They're not babies. I mean, well, younger. to be fair, Reeves would have been would have been a little older than he was in Bill and Ted. Yeah. Looks about the same though. I mean, he never ages. He never ages. Yeah. But if you shaved him, he still probably he could still probably <laughs> what, pull him off. What year did Firestarter come out with Barrymore in it? Wasn't it around the same time? Uh, yeah, that's around. Right. Yeah, so little little baby Drew. <laughs> baby Drew. Baby Drew. Oh, man. Okay. Fire Starter was 84. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, right around this time. Two years after E.T. Yeah, she was 11 when she shot this film. Oh. Jeez. So I think... She's already going to nightclubs and starting to get into the drinking and the drugs. Yeah. So I'm thinking just based on that, I really want to watch Babes in Toyland. I want to see the little ones. Alrighty. So I'm going to watch that. Okay. Nice nice G-rated film. (laughs) Uh, recover from that nightmare that I watched. It's gonna make you go, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Man, I should have picked 2001, because that's a G-rated film somehow. Yep. 
I, the movie that I wanted to go with, but it's only got the rating of approved, uh, is The Court Jester, starring Danny Kaye and Angela Lansbury. Hmm. To be fair, hilariously enough, the only reason that Little Nemo is considered G-rated is that when it was released in the United States, those 11 cut minutes were to secure it. Ah, okay. And my backup was, had you not, had you said you'd seen Babes in Toyland, was Fievel, an American tale. I've seen Fievel. Also, an American tale, Fievel goes west. Fievel goes better. west. Much it's a better, better one. Much better. Yes. I have the books that they're based off of. West Side Story, because for some reason that's G. Really? Yeah. That one was like, what? Doesn't that have like knife fights? and No blood, though. Yeah. Well, we were going Still. through just a list of just we just Google yeah. G movies, but there was a lot of them on there that were approved, like and Tom said, because of the MPA. Rated later. Yep. Yeah. Um, ben Hur was on there too. Yeah, Ben Hur is not a G rated. Which movie. I have no idea. Deaths on there. I have no idea what Ben Hur is about, and I've never Presumably. seen it. Presumably, but considering uh, the precautions they had, you should definitely see it. Oh, I'm aware. Yeah. The Sound of Music is on there. Anyway. Oh, I haven't seen that So, yet. you've made your choice. I've made my choice. I've never you. seen The Sound of Music? No. The, the movie sucks. Eh. The play itself is wonderful. I saw it in London. Not a big fan of uh, Sound of Music. Well, Again, I enjoyed the play. I didn't think much of it. I think movie. it has some good music, and that's about it. All right. So, now. All right. What is coming up? Uh, movies that co- are coming up this week are Stuber, Crawl, and The Art of Self-Defense. Uh, Stuber with Kamal Nanjiani and Dave Bautista. Yeah. Uh, Crawl with nobody CG alligators. a bunch of alligators and houses. The cinematography for that movie looks amazing. Again, until it, it was, looks phenomenal. Until it was revealed it was alligators, I was stoked. Yeah. And then once it's this, like, oh, it's just alligators. It's just Florida. Yeah, it's just, yes, I love the way it was shot. I just wish that they went a little ballsy with what it was and I not just alligators. I legitimately thought it was going to be a Cthulhu thing. I yeah, would have been I I would have was 100% for it's it. It's Louisiana during rainy season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Louisiana is basically a bowl surrounded by soup, though, especially New Orleans. I'm just saying. Yeah. So. And then Art of Self-Defense looks fun. What is that? Uh... Well, uh, well, that's that's great. He made a wonderful face. It's right? Jesse Eisenberg, and he's like in a, a karate class, and it's all like it just looks really weird and really fun. I don't know. Oh well, it, last I mean, time I saw that, I ended up watching Red Belt, and well, I didn't mind Red Belt, but it was really boring. The ending sucked. It was better than Foot Fist Way. Uh, yeah, Other I, than the scene where Thomas Hayden Church punches an old lady, there's so nothing. So the movie about that. is. A man is attacked at random on the street. He enlists at a local dojo led by a charismatic and mysterious sensei in an effort to learn how to defend himself. Right. <laughs> also, it's Karate Kid. Basically, uh, kind of. It goes weird. I mean, it, has, is, it has Imogene Poots in it. Uh, There's an unfortunate oh, name. Yeah. Poots. Imogen Poots. Imogen Poots, yep. Yeah. It, it's a bunch of... There's nothing funny kind about of that. No she was in Zombie Dice. ...name people. Alessandra Nivola... Yeah, there's a lot of people in it that you are like the people you recognize from other things, but don't know their names. Yep, pretty yeah, much. Like that one's gonna be uh, that one's gonna be in this little area. Yeah, probably. Uh, I'm probably. I've been seeing trailers for it uh, at the theater I go to. So, oh, huh. you know, yeah, I might I might have to check that one out. Well, that sounds kind of interesting. 
I'll check that out. I'm gonna probably check out Stuber. Uh, I like the two of them. Batista's um, pretty good as a stray man, though. I wish they would someone would let him stretch it out. What really makes me curious about Stuber is the villain is Iko Uwais. Really? I noticed that's him in the one, one of the later trailers. Is the the blonde dude that like throws the gun, picks up, grabs the gun, throws it back? That's Iko Uwais from Raid. I'm like, whoa, wait, really? He's been cool. around. Yeah, I'm glad for him. Mile twenty two. Yeah, mile twenty one mile or something like that. The one with Mark Wahlberg. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, but which yeah, apparently wasn't as good as it should have been. Nope, not at all. But but then next week we have Lion King, the pseudo live action remake. I'm excited for Lion King. Yeah. I know some people aren't, but I'm excited. I'm excited for the technology, but I I've seen the movie and I'm not like up and like up and happy to go and see the same movie. So. I'd rather they do something new than just shell out the remake. Kind of the same. I, I wish they would do the same kind of technical quality in a new story. Hmm. Like, we didn't need Mowgli and Jungle Book. Yeah, that was weird that there was two. One was directed by Andy Serkis, and I liked it better than Jungle Book. We didn't but, We didn't need 101 Dalmatians, remember that? Oh yeah, and two, Dal- two Dalmatians, a sequel. Mm-hmm. That's right, there was a sequel. Yep. Why? Yep. But, but yeah, it like, made it too. Live action remakes. I would rather them just make a new story. Period. The, th- the thing that bothers me the most is the fact that there's no reason for it. Some things Funny. they get a, re- you know that you know what I mean. Though, yeah. like some things get a re- get a remake or a reimagining, and they actually there's because there's a reason for it. Look at look at the thing. John Carpenter's the thing. Yeah. Whatever else we want to say about it, he saw the thing from another planet and actually read the book and it's like I want to do something better and did something with it and then you've got stuff like Psycho which was shot for shot just in color Magnificent Seven remaking Seven, Seven Samurai, Samurai. No. and then it's... Magnificent Seven remaking Magnificent Seven yeah Psycho is that the one with the with the shower scene yep. in the... yeah yeah I haven't seen yep. it either yank, yank, yank. it's really good do not watch the sequels. They're all... The second one at least had some decent ideas in it. But yeah. The others, no. Yeah, there was definitely... But there was a remake that was just a shot-for-shot shot recreation of it. It's like, yeah. what is the point? Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, that's what's coming out this week. Stuber, Crawl, Art of Self-Defense. Next week is Lion King. Uh, unless we have anything else we need to talk about. I think that's about it. I'm kind of looking interested in Stuber, especially because of EY. And the art of self-defense kind of sounds interesting, but... Yeah. yeah. Uh, the more I see of uh, Kamala and Johnny, I'm more I love intrigued to see chill. him. Well, not Big Chill, uh, Big Sick. Big, Big Sick, yeah. I love Big Sick. The more I see of I, I love him in Silicon Valley. He's... I've never watched it. It's an awesome HBO show. Oh, that one. Um, so, That's anyways. But yeah, so... Yeah. Cool. Well, that is... Uh, it for this week. We'll be back next week with more random film stuff. Not sure what we're doing next week. We'll figure it out. But again, I've been Devin. I've been James. Tom. And Jenny. And that has been the In the Can podcast. We'll be back next week. Go out and see movies. Bye, y'all. <laughs>